welcome. Uh, the four uh, people you see up here are Larry Rosenberg, uh, Doug Phillips, Matthew Daniel, and down on the far end, Wood Shoemaker. Um, and we're going to be holding down this end of the room, um, and you all are going to be holding down that end of the room uh, for the next seven days. Um, I think a number of you have sat these retreats before, particularly with Larry, um, and you know that the retreat actually began some time ago. Um, one of the things that we emphasize is that there's really no distinction in what we're doing between on the cushion and off the cushion. Uh, it's a very, very simple approach that we take. Um, it's about attention. And uh, attention to what? Attention to what's happening right now. Uh, things are as they are right now for each of us. And that's the uh, focus of our practice. So uh, that began some time ago. And we'll just continue that momentum over the next seven days. Um, we hope that this will be a fairly uh, simple and balanced way to live together uh, over this next period of time. Uh, feet firmly on the ground, uh, bottoms firmly on the cushion, and uh, heart opening uh, to the internal and external universe. And that will be our practice uh, together. Uh, you'll get some variations on that theme, uh, but pretty much that's it. Uh, we could just be quiet now and sit for the next seven days. Um, do I get a show of hands on who would like to do that, or should I keep talking for a minute? <laughs> I do want to emphasize the, the simplicity of the attentional piece. Um, when we're sitting, walking, standing, doing our jobs, uh, the quality that we bring to those moments is really what brings them to life. Uh, we bring life to our life by the attention that we bring to it. It's as simple as that. Uh, and um, the quality of that attention, uh, whether we're sweeping the floors or washing the pots or uh, making our bed or going to the bathroom or sitting on the cushion or doing yoga or being in discussion groups, uh, that quality of wakefulness and attention uh, is not different. Um, we uh, structure or frame this uh, retreat uh, with the refuges and precepts. It's a very traditional way to begin and hold retreat practice. Uh, we're not looking for, and I can clearly speak for all four of us on this, uh, we're not looking for Buddhist converts here. Uh, we're looking to practice being awake together. And uh, one of the ways to think about refuges and precepts uh, are opportunities to uh, create meetings with ourselves. This whole retreat is set up uh, to encourage us having a meeting with ourselves, with our mind, with our body, uh, with sound, with sight, with touch, with taste. Uh, all of those things that we uh, talk about as my life uh, but really is just simply life. Um, and so we're waking up to that. Uh, going for refuge is an ancient practice, uh, predates the Buddha. Uh, now we have wildlife refuges. Um, I've often thought of IMS as a kind of wildlife refuge. Um, it's a safe place to come. It's a harbor. It's protected. Um, it's protected by how we sit together, how we practice together. 
Uh, it's protected by people in the office, by people who cook for us, uh, people who maintain the grounds. A lot goes into making a very simple, safe refuge. And so we come here uh, to a refuge and take refuge. But primarily, fundamentally, the refuge that we find our home in is awareness, is attention. It's that quality of wakefulness that's there all the time. Uh, and that we get sometimes uh, very simple and sometimes quite dramatic glimpses of when the clouds part and that awareness shines through. So uh, in the mornings, um, uh, at least, we'll be chanting the refuges together. Um, going, to, going for refuge to the Buddha, uh, the Dharma, and Sangha. And uh, there, depending on the teachers you talk to, the talks you hear, uh, you'll get different slants on that. So this is just one uh, approach to thinking about and, and, and meeting uh, these acts of seeking refuge, taking refuge. Uh, taking refuge in the Buddha uh, can be thought of in terms of the inspiration that we can draw from the fact that uh, a man, a person, uh, very much like us, um, woke up. And the effort and the courage, uh, the endurance, the persistence, the patience, uh, and the real love that that took uh, for that one person to wake up uh, and here we sit as a result. Uh, quite a remarkable thing. Um, when the Buddha was asked uh, shortly after his awakening what manner of being he was, uh, and there were several uh, options, it was a kind of ancient multiple choice test, uh, the Buddha said, I'm awake. And so we take refuge in the awakened mind, you know, that which uh, hears right now uh, without any difficulty. Uh, that knows the, the uh, pressure of the seat on the cushion, uh, that knows directly, easily, without effort, uh, that car that just passed by or the temperature in the room. Uh, waking up, being awake. It's not only our, final, our primary refuge, but fundamentally it's who we are. So more and more uh, taking refuge in that wakefulness and finding that it's there all the time. Uh, taking refuge uh, in the Dharma uh, can be seen as taking refuge in the Buddhist teachings, uh, in uh, teachings of Buddhist teachers. Uh, there are lots of those, um, and they're uh, important. They provide a foundation for our practice. Uh, there's a, an enormous amount of wisdom in this tradition uh, in written and spoken form, and it's extremely precious. Uh, inspiring and, and provides a, a way to hold us. Um, you know, when the winds of, of greed, hatred, and delusion are stirring and blowing through and knocking us around, uh, the teachings of the Buddha are a powerful refuge, a powerful anchor uh, for us. Uh, another way to understand Dharma is Dharma is life as it is. It's as simple as that. Uh, life is presenting itself just as it is. Things are just as they are for each of us right now. And the challenge, the invitation really, is to begin to learn how to relate to life as it is. Uh, seeing when we want it to be other than it is and uh, experiencing directly what happens when we want life to be other than it is. Uh, and it's usually pretty clear uh, how that is. Um, I remember uh, being at the ocean one time and seeing uh, some folks had set up a picnic 
near the near the shore, and the tide started to come in. And they had this lengthy and quite animated discussion about, you know, why didn't they know that the tide was coming in? Why was it coming in then instead of later? And and pretty soon things started to wash out the sea. And they finally got it that the tide was going to come in whether they wanted it to be otherwise or not. And they picked up their blanket and they moved. And my guess is that their suffering dropped fairly dramatically as they moved. So life is presenting itself as it is and giving us opportunities to learn how to relate to that. And we learn how to relate to that by noticing how we separate ourselves from it. And then noticing those moments of ease and intimacy when that separation is not there. And things are as they are, we are as we are, and life meets life in hearing this sound. Uh, taking refuge in Sangha, um, the Buddha said that of the triple gem, Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha, the most important is the Sangha. And who are your spiritual friends? Um, most of us are strangers to each other. And yet over this next week, we have an opportunity, a, a rare and wonderful opportunity, to build a practice community together. Um, by showing up on time for sittings, you'll be surprised, for those of you who are, are new to this kind of practice, how much you'll notice when the person next to you is not there we really come to rely on those people around us for support, and when they're not there, we notice. And it's jarring. So we show up for each other on time. We move as little as possible. We protect the silence. We do, uh, you know, everybody in this sangha has a job. Uh, people in the office have a job, and they're practicing with their job. Uh, people on the grounds crew have a job, and they're practicing with that. We have jobs. When we're in here, the job may be to attend to the breath. Uh, when we're walking, our job is to walk, really walk. Uh, when we're working at our yogi job, our job is to work at our yogi job and to notice how we separate from that, noticing how the mind judges or uh, begins to drift off in storytelling, whatever. Uh, again, uh, that's practice on and off the cushion. The quality of attention can remain the same. Uh, so this is a this is a sangha that is uh, in in many ways very tightly uh, dependent, interdependent on each other, uh, and uh, it requires care and a certain kind of love uh, to make this really work. And I think you'll find as you invest in that, you'll get uh, at least as much back and more so than what you put into it, uh, and you'll have an opportunity to be a part of a sangha that uh, comes together in this unique way uh, for a very short period of time, uh, working in uh, difficult conditions and uh, learning how to live together. And that's really what this practice is about. It's learning how to live and learning how to live together. Um, we also ask that you uh, undertake the five training precepts. The uh, code of Morality of ethics is uh, really foundational uh, to any kind of contemplative practice, and it's, it's not, um, as they say, rocket science. I mean, if we're going to practice together, there can't be cheating and killing and stealing and you know, lying and slandering and sexual promiscuity, right? It's kind of clear. Um, so we ask that, that uh, each of us uh, undertake these training precepts. Um, 
The first is no killing uh, based on non-harming. Uh, watch where you walk. Yeah, I need to pay attention because I have a, a reflex that goes right after mosquitoes that are trying to suck my blood. And we begin to, to meet ourselves in that. The precepts are just another opportunity for us to meet our own mind. You know, and how we cut corners with life and, and how we want to try and make life be as we want it to be. Uh, so non-harming has multiple layers. Um, uh, overworking in the yoga, for example, and straining oneself. You know, the sort of PE, do the extra 15 push-ups sort of thing. Uh, it's not a PE class. It's mindful yoga. And Matthew's going to be spending some uh, detailed time on, on that uh, blending that piece into our sitting and, and life practice. So uh, non-harming can also be connected to uh, right speech. Uh, if I'm judging harshly myself internally, even though I'm not saying it out loud, uh, that's not the skillful use of speech. It's also harming myself. So what do we do with that? Attention, attention, attention. You're going to hear that so much <laughs> over the next seven days from all of us. I think it's one of the reasons there are four of us up here. Hopefully you'll get some variation on the theme enough to hold your interest. Uh, but it really is about attention. Um, I want to say a little bit more about uh, skillful speech because this is a silent retreat. And so in some ways the, the silence keeps us out of a lot of potential trouble. Uh, it's really a wonderful thing. Um, the silence is spoken words, of course, and not engaging in, in speaking out loud, except when really essential. You know, if you have to use some skillful speech in order to perform your yogi job, then that makes sense to do. Um, if you want to complain because there's only 2% cottage cheese, uh, that's probably not so skillful. Uh, so we slow things down so that we can, we can begin to catch the quick condition reflexivity uh, that we develop over time, you know, where uh, it, it appears in the mind and it's out the mouth before we really have a chance to pay attention to whether or not that's skillful. The Buddha talked about every, every mouth has a double-bladed axe in it. Uh, and even though we close the mouth on this retreat, it's very easy to use that internally or for me to, uh, you know, have some problem with the way Matthew's sitting and beginning to criticize and, you know, him about, you know, why doesn't he sit still or why doesn't he move? He never, never moves. Why doesn't he move once in a while, right? Uh, and, and so that energy gets produced and it's harmful. It's harmful to me. Sooner or later, I mean, he's a pretty sensitive guy. He's going to feel that energy field around me. So uh, exercising some really skillful speech by keeping quiet. We ask that you not read. We ask that you not write. Um, I know at least one of you has a journal. Uh, put it away <laughs> and leave it put away. Um, avoid direct eye contact. Uh, um, it's a way, it, the, the effect that it has is pulling someone out of silence. If I look at you, right, there's some, mm, yeah, right? And, and so there's, I, I want to leave you alone and you want to leave me alone. We practice together, but we practice alone in this. Okay? So, and both are uh, equally important. So, and the silence is very fragile. It's very fragile. So, when you go on walks, 
don't go with partners. If you've come with somebody, let them go in the other direction. You can catch up at the end of the retreat. <laughs> uh, and watch internal and external speech. Uh, it's a wonderful practice, and it's another way to really meet the mind. Um, not using intoxicants, uh, unless there's a lot of bootleg stuff going on that we don't know about, which is really unlikely in this environment. Uh, things like you eating too much can really cloud the mind. I mean, you're looking at, at trying to keep a balance so that you can keep healthy and you can do what is what contributes to keeping awake. Um, not taking what's not given. Uh, explore those things. Notice when, you know, maybe you're out of toothpaste and it's really okay to use the toothpaste that's left on there. Well, is it? Slow things down and take a look. Uh, leaving lights on unnecessarily. You know, stealing energy from the environment unnecessarily. Uh, taking what's not freely given in an appropriate way. Uh, misuse of sexual energy. Uh, this is a celibate retreat. We ask that you have no uh, physical sexual contact of any kind with yourself or with anybody else. And uh, to watch what comes up in the mind around that. Uh, that includes indulging in fantasies. Now, this is not, this is not uh, somebody up here saying, don't do this. This is not the Marine Corps, okay? I promise. Uh, but it's really an invitation to watch what we often don't watch. To look at what's strongly conditioned and leave it alone so that it begins to reveal itself really as it is. And to do that, we have to hold a position. Okay? We really have to hold a position. The basic practice instructions for a retreat are sit down, sit still, and be quiet. Okay? We could have cut that, we could cut this whole talk down into just that. Sit down, sit still, and be quiet. Take a position and hold it. And like a mountain, let things come and go. Okay? It's going to come and go anyway. And then watch when you get hung up on it, you get grabbed by it, and bring attention to that. As this goes on, I think you'll, you'll see naturally and you'll get some instruction from us about uh, what to pay attention to. But fundamentally, uh, beyond the instructions of the breath, which we'll spend a fair amount of time with to sort of settle things, what's present is what we're attending to. So we're going to make a transition here, and uh, Larry's going to be doing the, the, medita the introductory meditation instructions. Um, and uh, I can also speak for all of us when I say I, there's nothing else that we'd rather be doing than sitting here with you. It's a great pleasure for us, and, and uh, I hope we all have a wonderful retreat. So, so thank you very much. What I would suggest is you've uh, been sitting uh, listening uh, for, I don't know, about 45 minutes or so. And there'll be a, a brief sitting and some instructions. So I would suggest you stand up, stretch, move if you need to. Arrange the body so that it's as 
comfortable and stable as you can manage right now. Very helpful if the spine is straight, not rigid. It would also be helpful if the chin is tilted downward just slightly, not much. The head resting lightly on the neck as if it were floating upwards, slightly inclined towards forward. Not making it do that, but just seeing if you're, you're, there's some tight, tightness there. And actually taking a look at the body, looking inside. A brief survey. Any places in the body that seem contracted, tense. Sometimes we're determined highly motivated, perhaps looking forward to doing the retreat for a while. And it shows up in the, the jaw. Shoulders hunched up, poised for action, eyes squeezed shut. Should you close your eyes, half open, open? There are many schools of thought on this, and uh, what I've found is what's best for you practically speaking. Whatever helps you stay awake, stay mindful. And so just quickly moving through the body. If there's any tension, we just pause and it's not so much relaxing that place as touching it with mindfulness and watching to see what happens, touching the tension. So the body is erect, but not rigid. As relaxed and comfortable as we're able to manage right now. And what kind of mind are we starting our sitting practice with? Some of you are new, first retreat of this length. Perhaps there's some apprehension, some nervousness. Perhaps some of us have something from the week that's just passed from work or from home, persistent idea or notion or mood. Whatever it is, just briefly taking stock of that quality of mind we seem to be beginning with. Maybe it's nothing special, pretty quiet, fine. We're not looking for it to be any special way. And the method that will be taught the main method taught in the hall will be a method called anapanasati, full awareness with breathing. Goes back to the time of the Buddha. There are rather detailed instructions in a number of sutras. 
which lay out what this method is about. It was used by the Buddha extensively. It's been used since. In all Buddhist traditions, And we're going to give a, a rendering of it that's very simple and natural in line with what Doug was getting at. For example, to begin with, we're just noticing that we're breathing. Each one of us in this hall is breathing, which is to say we're alive. Each one of us is alive. It's another way of saying the same thing. All of us sitting here alive and breathing. Rather than, and this is maybe especially so if you've done lots of this method already, it can get jaded, mechanical, in, out, in, out, in, out. See if you can come to it if you've been doing a lot of this practice as if for the first time. Just this in-breath, this out-breath, those of you who are newer, it's not about words or pictures in the mind, but the sensations that come about as the lungs fill up and empty. You can pick up these sensations at the nostrils, the upper lip, some people prefer the abdomen, chest. And a number of you I know are working with the whole body, feeling the breath sensations wherever you feel them. Which, whatever you settle on, stay with it. We'll be using breathing during this retreat together both calm and steady the mind, and also to help sweep the mind clean with the wisdom that can come about through clear seeing and which can be helped along with breathing, conscious breathing. For right now, it's just a simple in and out breath, allowing the breath to flow freely No particular rhythm, no pattern that we are imposing on the breathing. Quite the contrary. Let the breath do all the work. However it is, is perfect. It's to help us wake up. We're practicing wakefulness, mindfulness. Learning how to allow the breath to just happen. For some of us, that's not so easy. We've had so much practice making things happening, happen. And as the breath happens, just receive it. We're not running out trying to capture it, apprehend it, catch it with a butterfly net. Just let it happen and be there to receive it, to feel it happen, wherever that is. This practice, sometimes called shamatha, as it becomes steadier and stable, becomes part of a very important element in practice, samadhi, 
stability of the mind that will help us beyond the immediacy of what we're doing right now. And as we sit and breathe, the world doesn't stop. There may be sounds outside in the hall, thoughts racing through the mind, perhaps a particular mood you're in, pictures coming through the mind, the full range of human experience. The body will feel a certain way. We're learning how to peacefully coexist with all that is other than breath. We're not trying to stop the mind from thinking, nor are we jumping onto a thought and letting it take us for a trip. When it does, we see that and come back to just the simple in-breath and out-breath. So the breath sensations are featured. And the surrounding field, which makes up our particular experience of life at this moment, is just what it is. And the question is, in the midst of it, are we able to remain in touch, in contact with each breath? And as we sit and breathe, from time to time, we may find that our attention is pulled off the breathing. We're enveloped, detained by something that's other than breath, a memory, a hope, a yearning, a bodily condition. Anything will do, but we're no longer with the breathing. Thinking, worrying, planning, any of the things that minds do. And as soon as we see that, it's not an occasion to be viewed as a failure or difficult. It's just what happened. Just easing back to the breath sensations once again. As many times as we need to do that, we do it. As I think probably everyone in this hall knows, it's very easy for the mind to make difficult and easy. You're all over the place. This is too difficult. I'm no good. My concentration's weak. Mmm, nice and smooth. This is easy. I like this. If the mind produces such notions, let it, but let it just come and go too. Don't make difficult, don't make easy. Don't make anything. Just come back to this in-breath, this out-breath. And that's the simple approach to what we'll be doing to begin the retreat. So let's all do this practice together, please.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.